Hi, my name is Lindsay Bailey, and I'm the Injury Prevention Coordinator for the UNC Trauma Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and you're listening to Staying Safe While Social Distancing. Hey folks, thanks so much for joining me today. This is episode one of a two-episode series about elder abuse. I'm going to start by telling you how I got the idea for this episode. Shame on me, it was not on my radar that June 15th is actually Elder Abuse Awareness Day nationally, and actually had it brought to my attention by a member of the Chatham Health Alliance that I'm a part of, who, when I was talking a little bit about some of the child abuse uh, prevention efforts we've been doing with COVID and how we did a podcast episode on it, he asked me what I was doing for the seniors. And I said, you know, falls prevention, driving safety, isolation uh, prevention and resources, et cetera. And he, you know, informed me that just like with child abuse, elder abuse reports are down, which is not a good thing. That means that there's not as many people laying eyes on seniors who may be vulnerable as there would be during normal times. We know that because of outbreaks in assisted living facilities, And also just because seniors are more homebound because they are a more vulnerable population, that they aren't getting out and about as much as they would have and family members aren't visiting them. So their ability to get be abused and also for the abuser to get away with it is definitely more of a possibility. So I found uh, not one but two wonderful experts on the subject of elder abuse and what we can do to prevent it. Uh, This is going to be an interview with a wonderful speaker from the Department of Health and Human Services. I'll let her introduce herself when we cut to the interview. But thank you so much for uh, tuning in and listening to what she has to say and what we can do to help our seniors at this time and moving forward, even when COVID is done. Thank you so much. Laura, thank you so much for being on the call today. would you go ahead and start by telling um, all those who are listening a little bit about your background and um, how you work in the field of elder, elder abuse? Absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. Again, my name is Laura Gerganis. I am with the Division of Aging and Adult Services. My main role there is that I am a program coordinator for Adult Protective Services, and my main responsibilities largely include developing curriculums for the DSS or the Departments of Social Services in all 100 counties. They are social workers and management level staff. Um, So we do a lot of training on adult protective services, law and policy, assessing someone's capacity and financial exploitation. We're also responsible for stakeholder and community education via opportunities such as this or symposiums and seminars or community trainings. I started my elder abuse prevention career actually as an adult protective services supervisor in Wilson County DSS. I worked there for about two years and then promoted to the adult services program manager in Wayne County where I directly supervised social workers and their supervisors for a variety of programs and I was there for about five years before coming here to the state uh, last June. So I've been here about a year uh, providing those training opportunities for social workers and the community. Excellent. That's, that's, um, you've had quite a career. I have. Oh, it's been so fun. fun. 
Yes. Well, can you tell me what you define or, you know, what is the standard definition of elder abuse? And is there anything um, that you feel like needs to be added to that definition? So that's a great question. And actually, in North Carolina, abuse is defined as the willful infliction by a caretaker of physical pain, injury, or psychological harm, mental anguish, unreasonable confinement, or the willful deprivation of goods or services that are necessary to meet the essential needs or to avoid physical or psychological harm. So that's a mouthful to basically say that elder abuse, or in in North Carolina we really focus on disabled adults, which can be anyone over the age of 18 that is incapacitated by a physical or mental disability. And that abuse can be physical, emotional, it can be sexual abuse. There can also be caretaker neglect self-neglect or exploitation, and exploitation is the fraudulent or otherwise illegal, unauthorized, or improper act or process of an individual, including a caregiver or fiduciary, that uses the resources of a disabled adult for monetary or personal benefit, and that results in basically depriving a disabled adult of their rightful access to or use of their own money, benefits, resources, belongings, or assets. So really, elder abuse is a very dynamic um, definition. There's a lot of working parts to it, and there's a lot of different things that we can look at whenever we're trying to prevent that for our elders or disabled adults. Ah, Okay. Well, that is a mouthful, and and it definitely covers uh, a wider gamut than I would have thought. Absolutely. Can you tell me, you know, where does elderly abuse happen most commonly, if there is a most common place, and is there, like, a risk factor that makes people more susceptible than others, or is it purely, like, random? Absolutely. That's another really great question, and honestly, elderly abuse can really happen anywhere in the domestic or institutional setting. Um, It really um, is... I hate to say, but it, it we really have anywhere that it could be, right? So when you're typically looking at elder abuse, some of those risk factors that you would want to look at would be um, a big one for our elders is recent loss. So if you have someone who's recently widowed, maybe their caregiver child and has passed away, Uh, That's another very large risk factor for someone, Um, especially if they were highly dependent on them for, let's say, financials. Maybe they helped them pay bills or, you know, because we naturally lose some of those faculties as we age. That's just a normal part of the aging process. So sometimes we decline in cognition or physical abilities and we rely on our children or our neighbors or or group, uh, maybe your church, um, to sort of take care of those things for you. So those are all risk factors, you know, when we're looking at those things that maybe someone has no social support or no family support or that support is very low. So lack of resources, lack of access to resources can really impair the elderly. Uh, we also hear a lot these days about scams and exploitation and how vulnerable some of our elderly people can be. We have a lot of work with, um, you know, we had natural disasters right now during this 
you know, unprecedented pandemic, these elderly adults that are already isolated are being targeted, you know, by, you know, sort of what we call the snake oil salesman, you know, oh, there's this cure for COVID and it'll make you, you know, immune to all of it. There is no cure. There is no vaccine. Um, but someone who maybe doesn't have access to the news or doesn't have access to family, that can really hinder them, you know, in being prevented for some of that exploitation. So it can happen anywhere. Uh, it can happen right next door to you. It can happen right in your church. It can happen in an assisted living facility. Really, the sky is the limit, unfortunately, with something like that. It can happen pretty much anywhere. Sorry, y'all. At this point in the interview, my phone broke up a little bit. But what Laura is going to say next is just a continuation of talking about the exploitation of senior adults and how that can be considered elder abuse. Unfortunately, with exploitation, um, for every time that we're ahead of an exploiter, another one pops up. So just as soon as you can shut one down, um, they're very good. We have grandparent scams and you would never believe that somebody would pretend to be you and call this person and pretend to be hurt or in trouble, but it happens and they're very convincing. I mean, it, it, is, it is alarming and it's sad, but it, that's why we have to do our best to educate people to be aware of those warning flags and sort of know what to look for. Sure. Well, with that said, um, what are some things that, you know, adult children, care, uh, family and friends, do to be on the lookout for signs of abuse and um and as a follow-up to that is there anything that you would recommend that they could help their older adult do to communicate that they're being abused absolutely so these are again these are very dynamic questions and there's really a lot that goes into these things because people are just naturally so very spread out right with their support systems so there's many different things that family or friends any kind of social network can kind of be aware of for their loved ones and I'll just kind of go through them in somewhat of a list so when you're looking at something like physical abuse, again, as we defined at the beginning, that really has to be willful and intentional from a caregiver. So, you know, if you are checking on your mom and maybe your, you know, sister is taking care of her, um, you would be looking for things like bruises. And we're not just talking about somebody bumped into a cabinet. We're talking about oddly placed bruises, unexplained or poorly explained, like you just don't have a good answer for it. Um, burns is a very big warning sign. Cigarette burns, unfortunately, happen a lot. Or, um, you know, access to a stove that they maybe don't have the cognition to operate, so burns would be one. Um, broken medical equipment is a big one that a lot of people sometimes don't really think about, but if an adult needs a walker or a wheelchair to ambulate or move and it's not accessible to them, that, that is a form of abuse or neglect in that they don't have the adaptability to that to use it to accomplish their daily living. So broken medical equipment is a big one that a lot of people kind of overlook sometimes. Um, missing medications or medication errors can also be a form of physical abuse. I mean, if you have an adult who needs, you know, insulin for diabetes and their insulin is sitting there and it's never being taken, you know, that is a sign of neglect or abuse. Um, you also want to look for things like if you have a bed-bound adult, bed sores or soiled clothing, um, any kind of changes in eating habits where they maybe appear more malnourished. 
Sometimes that can be a little bit of a slippery slope because as we age, our appetites change. But sometimes, if you know your family well enough, they may eat very meagerly and still maintain a good body weight. But if that starts to drop or they seem more frail than normal, it is definitely something that somebody could look into. Um, Some sort of social and emotional things that people look at are things like fear or cowering in the presence of a caretaker. So, you know, an adult who normally is very outspoken is all of a sudden not speaking much. They are shushed by the caretaker, like, oh, let me answer that, and the caretaker kind of butts in a little bit. Um, Sometimes some warning signs to look out for on the exploitation side include sudden philanthropy. So somebody who doesn't normally contribute much to charity all of a sudden is giving away large sums of money. Maybe they desire to send money to someone they've never met and they give you really good excuses as to why. Some of those excuses include things like, oh, well, this person is trapped overseas and they just, they're never going to be able to get home if I don't help them and send them this cashier's check for thousands upon thousands of dollars that cleans out their savings. Another big one is helping people with medical bills. Um, Again, we talked about in the last question, you know, some of these scams that people employ. And so those are some warning signs to listen for when you're talking to your loved ones if they kind of make those statements. Um, Any kind of changes to legal documents like wills or power of attorney that you're not really privy to prior to the change is a pretty big warning sign. Um, And a a big thing that we really encourage families to do, um, sort of the second part of your question, what are some of those recommendations to help older adults communicate? The really unfortunate thing is that elder adults are very – non-willing or reluctant to give that information. They're embarrassed if they feel that they're kind of a victim to some of those things. And so sometimes they don't say anything because they feel like, I oh, I should have not let that happen to me. So what we encourage families to do is to always have very open and non-judgmental lines of communication because, again, that embarrassment maybe gets the best of them. And you can imagine if someone comes at you and says, I can't believe you let that happen, that adult may shut down and not tell you anything else that's going on. So we always say it's better to be open with that person, just engage in normal conversation. Sometimes if they feel like they're just talking to you one-on-one, that's a little bit better and you'll get more information than if it's like a, Q, a Q&A, you know, question and answer. Frequently checking in with them makes a huge difference. Like we said a few minutes ago, this pandemic has created really an unprecedented times and we have really been cut off from our older adults in our lives. And frequently checking in with them becomes kind of paramount um, in that fight against some of these scams and uh, abuse and neglect that is out there. Um, if you do live out of state, I know some of your listeners may Maybe, you know, maybe they live in Virginia and mom is down here. Um, Make sure that you have kind of a schedule, you know, stay on that schedule. If you call once a day, keep calling once a day, you know, have an open and honest relationship with anyone that supports their family member. So if you know that your mom's neighbor is going to check on her every day, have that person's phone number and just ask for, you know, that feedback. Well, how did she look today? Did everything look good? And, you know, kind of keep notes about that stuff so that you can kind of see where maybe those drops um, in cognition may go. Um, I could talk for a long time about some of those things, but those are sort of those warning signs. Those are a lot of the things that we commonly see um, if somebody was looking for it. 
Wow. No, that's that's so helpful. Thank you. And you really covered not just the physical aspect, but, you know, a lot of the different types of abuse that people might not even think of. So that was you've given us so much good information. Is there anything else you want to add before I let you go? I think that the biggest thing that we always want people to understand is that it's always better to call and report something if you feel like something is off. It's always better to call. And let the social workers and the departments of social services, um, you know, screen that referral and talk you through what those concerns may be. Um, If you ever suspect that any disabled adult or elder is being maltreated, you should always call your local Department of Social services, you know, they're in every county, um, and request to speak to the Adult Protective Services Unit. They'll help guide you and really talk you through those questions. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know, you know, this person's life history. Um, So that's the one major thing that I want to add to anybody listening is if you suspect anything, it's always better to call and sort of tell someone what those concerns are and let them help you figure out uh, what they need to do to possibly intervene. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This has been incredibly informative for me, and I'm sure it will be to others listening. So thank you so much for all that you do and for spending some time chatting with me today, and I hope that we'll talk again soon. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Staying Safe while social distancing podcast from UNC Trauma Center. For more injury prevention tips, please visit tarheeltrauma.org.